Well, good morning, everyone. Um, do you keep your Bibles open uh, to Psalm 16? Uh, we are going to be uh, looking... Um, Today's sermon is more thematic, so we're not going to be going verse by verse, but do be testing what I'm saying to see if what I'm saying really aligns to what uh, the scripture is saying. But as we come to look at Psalm 16 this morning, why don't we begin and pray together? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be a family together, to learn and grow together, and we pray that the truth of your word would be clear to each person here today. We pray that you would inspire us and teach us to be more like Christ and that we would be equipped to live as children of light in a world of darkness. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, as you heard this psalm being read, I wonder whether any particular words or phrases or themes jumped out at you from the words that were read. For me, um, the striking thing about this psalm is how happy the psalmist seems to be. He prays to God at the beginning in verse 1, asking God to keep him safe. And in the rest of the psalm, um, the psalmist tells us that he's been so blessed with good things. His heart rejoices. He is glad. And so this then is the theme of today's sermon, joy, uh, the um, the role and necessity of joy in the life of the Christian. And to set the scene for where we're going today... Uh, We're first going to think a bit about what is joy and why is it important. Then we'll think a bit about how do we fight for joy uh, before we end by thinking about what about when we're not feeling particularly joyful. So first of all, I want you to uh, imagine that you overhear two friends talking about you. Uh, they don't know that you're there, and we're going to consider this situation in two in two scenarios. So in the first case. Uh, you overhear two friends talking about you, and they're saying, well, that they like being your friend, but sometimes you can be a little bit difficult to love. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to spend time with you, but they want to be a good friend to you, so they're going to you know, keep meeting with you, keep being a good friend to you. And in case two, you overhear maybe the same friends talking about you, but in this instance, uh, they're just saying how much, how awesome you are, how much they love spending time with you how they just think you're, you've got such a caring and generous personality and they just wish they could spend so much more time with you. Well, in which case, case one or case two, do you feel most honoured or most loved? Well, of course, while there are things to admire about case one, um, clearly um, case two is better, right? So, you know... There are things to be admired about being committed to loving people who are, un, who are sometimes a little bit difficult. Clearly, there's things to admire there, but clearly we want all our friends to be like case two, right? So we want everyone to just think, oh, I just delight in spending time with them. I just think they're just an amazing person. And I think it's exactly the same of our relationship with God. And I want to ask you, which case, case one or case two, best describes uh, your relationship with Christ today? So are you a Christian because you know it's true and you want to do what's right? Or because you love Jesus and you find such joy in knowing him, in being in relationship with him and being friends with him, that you wouldn't want to be doing anything else other than following him? 
as I mentioned, clearly there are things to be admired about being committed to doing what's right. So I'm not saying we, you know, shouldn't have, we shouldn't go to church regularly or we shouldn't read the Bible regularly. But I do think it is true that God is most fully honored when we rejoice in who he is, when our hearts spontaneously respond in love and joy towards him. And we're not just doing the right things because we know that it's a good thing to do. But before we go any further, maybe we should define what joy is. And there are several different definitions out there. Um, And as I look through the uses of joy in Scripture, it seemed to me that we could define joy as being uh, Christian joy is a gladness and pleasure that is rooted in our relationship with Christ, with God, that involves our emotions as well as our minds and is spiritual rather than natural And the reason why I chose this definition is, firstly, uh, because in the Old Testament, the word joy is often paired with the word gladness in the Old Testament. Uh, I do think joy is something that should impact our emotions, although um, it's maybe more than that. But if we look at the places in the Bible where the word joy is used, it's often used when people are talking about singing, rejoicing, shouting, feasting. Um, Particularly, again, in the Old Testament, joy is often uh, used in that sort of context. And Yet we see, um, again, particularly maybe in the New Testament, that joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is spiritual rather than a natural thing. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So why then is joy so important? Well, in this particular passage, um, we see uh, that joy is part of the experience of being a follower of God for the psalmist. And I really think the rest of Scripture supports uh, this idea that joy is a necessary part of the Christian life. And I think this is true for two reasons. So I think, firstly, um, as my opening example tried to demonstrate, that I do think God is most glorified when we don't just do the right thing, but when we do those things prompted by love and joy in God. And so as people called to bring glory to God... Um, I think joy is part of that. Joy in God is part of that. But secondly, don't you think that joy is just a natural response to things that we recognize are good and beautiful and worthwhile? When someone is good to us, when they choose to spend time with us, when they care for us and look out for us, don't we naturally take joy in that kind of relationship? Therefore, I also think joy can maybe be a barometer of our hearts. It tells us whether our hearts really believe uh, what the Bible tells us about what God has done for us. Since if we believe um, all the things, all the good things uh, that God has done for us, would we not, at least on some level, feel joy in knowing that he's done those things for us? Well, the idea that joy and happiness come from God and that God is most glorified when uh, we are most satisfied in him, this should really free us, shouldn't it? It gives us a right to want to be happy, to seek happiness even in the right places. The world maybe tells us that a religion, well, it will stop you being happy, it will spoil all your fun. But I believe the Bible tells tells us that God wants us to be happy, satisfied and joyful people. Therefore, as we convert to Christianity, it's not just a creation of new uh, duties, but of uh, new desires. And this teaching has been popularized uh, in the last decades by John Piper, a preacher from the U.S., although it's really been around for much longer than that. 
And in many ways, I think this truth is really liberating, really exciting, but it can also be a little bit devastating as well. I don't know whether as you think about this example of the psalmist, as you think about joy, maybe you have a sort of sinking feeling a little bit, because maybe we feel a bit convicted that while we call ourselves Christians, maybe we often find that our desires are not quite what they should be. We may indeed recognize that finding joy in God, as David does in this psalm, does bring God much honor, much glory. But this truth is hard because we so often look for joy in other places. This truth sets us free only when we want joy in what we ought. And I do think this does raise another difficult point as well. Because we normally see joy as a spontaneous thing, you know? Like we spend time with a good friend and we feel joy. We see something beautiful and we feel joy. And so there's a problem. We recognize that God is more glorified when we are most joyful in him. Um, but maybe we don't often feel maybe that joy, joy in God. And so in point two, that's what we're going to look at. In the first half of the point, we're going to ask the question, how do we fight for joy when joy is spontaneous? And then we're going to look at the psalm, uh, psalmist as an example. So then, how do we fight for joy if joy is a spontaneous thing? Well, first of all, I think we recognize um, that that is true, that we cannot force ourselves to be joyful in God. We embrace the truth that joy is a gift. And so we pray that God might grant us joyful hearts. Salvation is also not something we can do on our own, is it? It's something that God uh, does in us. And he can bring us joy too. So really, um, don't you think that there, in, many ways, um, in many ways we are so helpless to affect uh, in ourselves the changes that would honor God? Don't you feel that sometimes in some areas in your lives? In so many ways, uh, we are helpless to affect those changes in our lives. But this should not make us uh, despairing people, but prayerful people. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, so, um, so to answer the question, how do we fight for joy when joy is spontaneous? Well, first of all, we recognize the truth of that, that joy is a gift that God bestows. It's not something we can force by our own willpower. And therefore, we should pray. We should be prayerful people. Nevertheless, uh, we should cultivate a lifestyle and environment that makes the joy, the growth of joy in our lives most likely. So it's the same as a farmer, okay? So we're going to think a bit about the farmer. A farmer cannot make crops grow. He does not create life. But the farmer does have important work to do. He plants the seeds he weeds, he takes care of the crops, he harvests in due time. The farmer has not created life, but he has worked hard. God could make things grow. He could just one day make a field grow rice or grow wheat. But the usual way for God to work is that we work hard and God um, makes things grow. And we need to be like that farmer. We need to be working at cultivating in ourselves a character that makes joy in God more likely. While at the same time trusting and knowing that it's only God who can really make uh, that joy grow in our hearts. Which leads us then to the question, what kind of work should we be doing to make growth in joy more likely? 
And I think primarily uh, this fight for joy, this work that we need to be doing, is primarily a fight to see and a fight to know God better. So when we see something very beautiful, like maybe a very beautiful sunrise, we often feel a sense of joy, right? We just enjoy the view that we see. And so part of this fight for joy is, I think, a fight to see more clearly who God is. So as we see God's goodness, his graciousness, his majesty as he rules the world, his justice and love that we see at the cross, his wisdom in the way he orders our lives, as we see those things more clearly, might we not also be prompted to feel a deep sense of joy at how amazing God is? As we see him more clearly, we, see, we feel the joy in seeing how awesome he truly is. Therefore, I think as we think about um, uh, cultivating a character that uh, makes joy in God more likely, I think we should really be thinking about how can we see more clearly who God is. And then secondly, um, I think part of this fight for joy is a fight to know God better. So good relationships, uh, good friendships, good, good, family, good family relationships, they also bring us joy, right? And so as we grow in our relationship with God, the person who we were created first and foremost to be in relationship with, the, one, the only one who makes us truly whole, will we not also therefore find joy in knowing God? And I think this is partly what David is doing in this psalm. So let's see what's prompting David to rejoice then in this psalm. Um, so you'll see there in verse six, in verse six um, David is joyful about the inheritance that God has given him. And so I wonder whether, as we reflect on the situations that God has placed us in, can we also find joy in the job, family, friendships, church that God has placed us in? Can we rejoice as we remember that, as, as uh, Romans eight twenty eight reminds us, that God promises that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Secondly, David rejoices over the next life as well, so he looks ahead uh, to his future life um, after, after the earthly life. And I'm sure many of you will remember that at certain points in David's life, he went through some very difficult times. His life was definitely not an easy one. Yet, as we see in this psalm, one of his reasons for rejoicing is that he looks forward and says, well, whatever challenges are here and now, um, there is a perfect, peaceful, beautiful future that awaits. And David delights in that security, doesn't he? So he says there in verses 9 and 10 uh, that he will not be abandoned to the grave, that death is not the end for the Christian, but a doorway then into eternal life with God. And so we can ask, well, are we as Christians also are rejoicing in our certain, perfect future in the next life? But I wonder whether you agree with me when I say that um, this psalmist here, David, he just seems to have a pleasure in knowing God. So he does pick on things to particularly um, be pleased about, so the, his inheritance and the future. But he also just seems to have joy in knowing you. So in verse 2, apart from you, I have no good thing. Um, and then further down, I will praise the Lord even at night my heart instructs me. And then in verse 11, there is joy in your presence, eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
There is a joy that David has in his communion with God that is separate from his human relationships and worldly environment. And so then, as we think about joy, I would encourage us to be remembering and reflecting on these items, on these things, as David does. Uh, thinking a bit about our future, the things that God's given us, our inheritance. Uh, but most of all, our relationship with him. But so moving then on to point three. So, we've, so far, we've thought a bit about joy and, um, and um, we've talked a bit about how uh, joy should be part of the life of a Christian. This is not an optional extra for the super holy people, uh, but all believers should rejoice in our God. But this does leave us then with a bit of a difficult question. What happens when I'm not feeling particularly joyful? Well, first of all, we need to remember that joy, that joy in God does not preclude us from times of mourning and sadness. And I don't know whether some of you recognize but this psalm from the New Testament. Uh, but in Acts, Peter tells us that in this psalm, David is looking forward to Jesus, the Messiah. And while Jesus was perfect and clearly felt joy in his relationship with God, we know, don't we, that Jesus did also feel sorrow and pain. Uh, Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. He felt sorrow over the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane as he waited for his execution. He felt pain on the cross. And there will be times of mourning and sadness in our own lives as well. We also need to remember that God has given us different temperaments, uh, different strengths and weaknesses, different life experiences. And there will be some here today for whom joy will come fairly naturally. Um, and there will be others for whom joy is, uh, is, is quite a struggle. Um, yet, despite that, and while we should recognize that the outward signs of joy will definitely be different for each of us, we should not be satisfied with hearts that are continually cold and lack joy. We must remember that intellectual assent to the gospel is not enough. The devil knows that the gospel is true. The issue is with his heart, right? And I want to share an insight with you from C.S. Lewis, who said, should be coming up on the screen. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I really like this image that C.S. Lewis gives us. I think it's very helpful. We are too easily pleased. It's not that our joy in other things like drink, sex, and ambition is not in one sense a real joy. It's like the poor child living in the slums. He genuinely enjoys playing in the dirt and the mud. But when asked if he wants a holiday at the sea, it is so beyond his experience, beyond what he can understand, that he might well say, well, I actually prefer playing in the mud. And we are like that sometimes, I think. Joy in God seems so difficult, so high, sort of so far away um, from our experience that, uh, that we settle. We settle for joy in lesser things. 
We refuse the offer of a holiday at the sea. We refuse the offer of joy in Christ because it just seems so hard to grasp. But this is the kind of joy that I think God wants to grant us, a joy that is precious and will withstand even through great trials. This is the kind of joy that sustains missionaries um, and that we hope and pray is sustaining our Iraqi brothers and sisters at this time. And there will, of course, be times when we still um, look for joy in other things. Um, when our hearts are cold towards God, we, we must, uh, like with all our failings, we look uh, to the cross. For those of us who are Christians, uh, Jesus died in our place for our brokenness, for our lack of joy. As Christians, we know that our cold hearts are forgiven by God. And, and one day, one day in heaven, uh, with hearts and minds renewed, we will know what it really is to have hearts filled with joy in knowing him. And as we think about that, isn't that something to rejoice in now, knowing that one day uh, we will really know that full joy of knowing Christ. But let's, uh, let's keep earnestly praying that God would do more of this work in us now, that we would not be, as C.S. Lewis says, too easily pleased with the things of this world. Let us be people that are satisfied and rejoice in Christ alone. And I'd like to end by reading a prayer that was written many years ago uh, by uh, the Puritans that both reminds us um, that joy should be characteristic of the Christian life, but I think also gives us a really great image of how sometimes it is through the dark times uh, that Christ shines most clearly. So... um, I'm going to read this prayer, and then I'm just going to close it in prayer before we finish. Okay? So, Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the well, the brighter the stars shine. Lord, let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, and your glory in my dark places. Father, we rejoice today that you have given us so many good things, that through the painful times you have sustained us and that you have made a way for us to know you. We pray that you would help us to see you more clearly and that we would know you more deeply, that we might find joy in knowing you. And may this joy endure through the tears and the pain of living in a broken world. And we look ahead to our future home with you, with great joy and great excitement. For your glory's sake, we pray. Amen.